In the 50s, Canadian researchers were considered world leaders in the use of psychedelics. Drug also known as psilocybin. Opened a new door for MDMA and psilocybin-assisted therapies. Today, there's a second wave of this controversial treatment, and it's showing promise. Hi, I'm Ramnik Johal. And I'm Carol Eugene Park. This is Decomplicated. Welcome to our News Explainer family. With most things, when I see a ton of chatter on social media about any given topic, my curiosity always makes me wonder, why is everyone talking about this? Ramnik, before you get into the why, I feel like you should tell us what topic has been trending on your social media platforms. Because we both know our algorithms could not be any more different. Okay, sure. People have been researching and using psychedelic drugs like magic mushrooms and LSD for decades. But recently, it feels like psychedelics have emerged from the margins and entered the mainstream. And now, people are openly talking about using them. Mainstream science is learning more about the benefits of psychedelics in mental health and medical treatments. We wanted to understand what changed along the way, from stigma during the Reagan era to this resurgence decades later. So, let's dive in. So, Ramnik, I know you talked to some really knowledgeable people about using psychedelics for their mental wellness, about this growing industry and the policies around it. What did you learn from your conversations with them? Well, Carol, there's a lot to unpack from these conversations, but I want to start by introducing Glenda Tailfeathers, a 60-year-old woman living in Alberta who shared how microdosing psychedelics saved her life. She told me about how she experienced depression since she was four years old, and through all of the trauma she experienced in her life, she was never able to find a solution that helped her feel okay. That is, until she began microdosing psychedelics. There was no bottom to my depression. I can recall, you know, kind of sitting on the kitchen floor and I wouldn't know where I was. And, you know, like it was very, very deep, deep depression. But I went to the doctor and they gave me the regular prescriptions that they do. And I tried probably 10 or 12 of them, but none of them really ever got to the that place of peace. You know, I, I, I strived with my grief and my past to, to find something that would make me feel again. So for Glenda, traditional prescriptive medicine wasn't the solution for her depression, as it can be for some people. But before we continue hearing from her, can you explain a little bit about what microdosing is? Sure. Microdosing usually means taking tiny amounts of psychedelics, and this microdose is usually one-twentieth to one-tenth of a recreational dose. The point is to do such a small amount that you barely feel the effects. And how did Glenda start microdosing? Glenda said she had tried psychedelics during her youth but she hadn't considered using them again until a friend recommended them to her over three years ago while she was working in the cannabis industry in Edmonton. She wasn't super on board at first, thinking she was too old for psychedelics, but Glenda had been a medical researcher in Australia before moving to Canada, and so she knew the mechanics of psychedelics. After reading as much of the latest research on it as she could, Glenda decided to give microdosing a try. 
the amount that I started taking of the LSD was one-tenth of what you would normally take. I just went to the one-tenth because I thought I had experienced psychedelics so I, I kind of knew you know well if I went if I went a bit out there I'd kind of be okay I just I timed it accordingly I didn't I wasn't working that day or whatever I just started taking that and then I started like mixing my own liquid like I would get you know the product and I would mix it up my myself with distilled water and then um, I have continued to do that now it's got to be well over three years that I have used it and I use it every three days that's that's the key and I've stayed at the one-tenth. I've never needed to take any more than that because it seems to be the thing that makes me feel my my heart again. And, and th this is the only thing I found. She felt her heart again. Wow, I feel like I need to sit with that for a bit. Did she describe that feeling to you? Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that people will never really understand until they've experienced it. Here's what she had to say. Because you take such a tiny dose, you know, with psychedelics, you'll often see things and, you know, you'll have colours and all that. There's none of that. With the amount that you take, you don't feel it. Like within, I would say it probably takes about 20 minutes for it to hit my system. And all of a sudden, I just feel like myself, if that makes sense. Nothing seems to bother me as much. I don't cry as much. I don't look for holes in things. It makes me feel positive, I guess, would be the best way to simply put it. So, For Glenda, using psychedelics is an important part of her mental health because she said it helped her process a lot of her experiences instead of pushing them away. Here she is again. Another thing that it's helped for me is it's brought back memories, deep memories, things that I had chosen to forget about that were aiding to the depression, right? Because, you know, it just, you're like an onion and it just keeps building up and building up. So for me, microdosing has also, it brings makes my brain so much more plugged into my feelings, I think, is another good way too. Because the more depressed you come, the more flat you become. Sadly, some people go to their grave and I never get to the core of their hurt. Microdosing for me has brought those feelings um, up with me and I've been able to work through them in a more positive fashion, right, rather than just like drinking them down or smoking them down or whatever, I've, I've brought them up and I've said, wow, that did happen to me. No wonder I felt that. Huh. I didn't realize psychedelics could be a healing tool for some people. Yeah, and Glenda isn't alone in that experience either. I connected with Tobias Zhang, a 32-year-old father of two and suicide survivor living in Vancouver, who shared his journey with psychedelics. He said that using psychedelics was like a breath of fresh air. You know that feeling when you uh, step outside into the cold air and you take a deep breath and that cold air just fills your lungs and then you breathe out and you just feel weightless, like clear-headed, focused, you feel good, you know? That's the feeling that it, it gave me when I first did it. 
And then I felt happy, you know, like I felt good, you know. Tobias also said that when he microdoses, he feels like he is better able to assess certain situations. Whenever I'm uh, on the microdosing, I kind of like it allows me to take a step back and like really survey the situation. And in my head, I have this conversation that goes on between myself. It's like, do I need to uh, put more energy into this? Do I need to react a certain way to this situation? Um, what can I do differently? And that, that just all happens like faster. It's like your soul talking to your body, whereas without it, it's like your mind telling your body. Romnik, I'm curious, were there things that you didn't know about psychedelics as they relate to mental health and wellness that you learned from either of them? Because to be honest, I've only known a niche group of people who use psychedelics while they're raving. And while they've used it for recreational purposes and not for healing, they always describe that experience as a high. How true or untrue would you say that statement is? Tobias shared that this is one of the misconceptions about psychedelics that people often have. And while some people do use it to alter their state of mind, he said that this isn't the end goal for people who microdose for mental health reasons. One of the, the things that irks me the most is when people microdose, a lot of the times people are expecting to feel something like a high of some sort. That's like totally wrong. You're not going to feel a high. I mean, at a larger dose, you might feel like a slight buzz or, or some extreme anxiety for like a good two hours, but you're not supposed to feel that stuff. And I, I, I just want to clear the air that microdosing is not a high. It's not like smoking weed. It's not like you're going to, you know, you're not supposed to feel much of anything. You're supposed to just be relaxed and therapeutic and be introspective and, and, and be able to think outside of the box a little better. If you're looking to feel something, like you're walking down a dangerous path, especially with psychedelics. There are horror stories of people that never come back from journeys. I would hate to be Alice in Wonderland being stuck in Wonderland. That is a, a reality that people can face, right? And um, I think that it's dangerous to not be educated in that, right? Like, yeah, sure, it is a, it's a fun thing to do. It's enjoyable. But it can also bring you to very dark places where you might not be able to escape for like, you know, eight hours. And it might change who you are. It might change you to the core of your being, right? And I think that's a really important part of this conversation. People who microdose or use psychedelics aren't using it to escape the reality. It's just meant to enhance it. I also never thought parents or grandparents would use a drug like this for mental health treatment or not. Without glorifying psychedelics, my initial thoughts while listening to both stories is how psychedelics have had transformative effects for people like Linda and Tobias. Yeah, it certainly has. Psychedelics can be a tool for psychotherapy where people use them with licensed professionals. But that being said, some people who microdose also choose to use psychedelics with people they trust. It's also important to stress that this isn't an all-encompassing solution. I spoke to Kelsey Ramsden about this. She told me that psychedelics are simply a tool, just like the many traditional medicines that require the person using them to also do the work. Kelsey is the CEO of Mind Cure Health, a mental health and wellness company that researches psychedelic medicines, technology, and supplements. Here she is. It's not the answer. It's the work that comes after seeing what you saw and, and integrating what you now understand. And so, you know, I think it's important for me, for people to understand, like, this is not a silver bullet. I'm doing all the work. This is just a lens, you know, 
And so that's how I see psychedelics and psychedelic therapy is it's just, it's a lens that we can see things a little bit differently. That makes sense. I mean, there's never a one-stop solution for anything. But where are psychedelics on the policy end? Are psychedelics illegal? And if so, where is Canada on that? Right now, it is illegal, but many companies are popping up to do research in this field. Some companies have already gone public in the space of psychedelics wellness and mental health. And some health professionals are also getting medical exemptions for their patients to treat depression, anxiety, PTSD, and in some cases, terminal illnesses, including cancer. So we touched on the misconceptions people have about psychedelics, but how heavily stigmatized are they? That's something Kelsey and I talked about. Here she is speaking about stigma. And the stigma piece is kind of funny because, you know, I suppose we can stigmatize anything if we choose. And it just so happens that, you know, the first round that psychedelics were granted got carried away by a cultural persona and a time in politics where it wasn't appropriate to behave like this group of people because it didn't benefit the politicians and the and the societal state at the time. But I've been curious about this idea that perhaps we're in a time where science advances beyond what we believe to have to be a social construct, that science can lead us in a way that says, if this works, then why not? And, and I also feel a bit like, you know, we're a world that's suffering. It's just true. And it's irresponsible for us to continue to dance around pretending like everybody's doing great. Kelsey's referring to the 80s, also known as the Reagan era, where there was a war on drugs. There was lots of incarceration and prohibitions, which ultimately created the stigma we still have today. Yeah, and I think it's important to emphasize that the war on drugs is not over for many people, especially BIPOC. Sure, people in Silicon Valley have openly said that they use psychedelics or even started investing in them, but many of these people have a lot of privilege. Definitely. And I think that's something we need to consider when we talk about why now. Part of this conversation is about reframing things like psychedelics as medicines rather than drugs, which is why education, both at the grassroots and academic level, is really important to the process of destigmatizing these issues. Here's Kelsey on this. There are moments, I think, in our lives where we have the opportunity to stand in front of others and say, this is a legitimate thing. Like, if you can't believe that a very typical average mother of three children in London, Ontario, like, it couldn't be more beige. I would hope that people would recognize that stigmatization is only based on undereducation and that this notion of, like, mental wealth can be something that's so much more than just like the basis of we have to just feel okay. I'm so glad we've explored this idea like it's okay to talk about not being okay, but I'd also like us to explore this idea that it's okay to want to feel great. So having learned all of that, why is there such a boom of people talking about psychedelics in both using and researching them? You've alluded to the fact that psychedelics aren't new. Kelsey said there are a number of reasons for this. She said it only takes one look at the state of the world to see why people are searching for new solutions to old problems. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you have a convergence of three things. One is the world hasn't been in more pain for a really long time. So there's lots of suffering and people are tired of the old, like, give me a pill a day and make me dependent for my life. You know, that's kind of that model is a bit broken and people are tired of it. And so we also have a culture with people who are interested in having more agency. So I am a sovereign individual and I will choose for myself what is right for my body. And so before when we used to just kind of nod and be like, yes, that's what society says is okay. Now we go, well, I'm interested in what works for me and I'm willing to investigate that. We also have access to information in a way we never did before. So we're able to get informed. And then the final thing is I think governments who who see an opportunity to regulate things in a specific way where the research does start to make sense. So when the FDA grants, um, you know, breakthrough status to MDMA and psilocybin, people who are capitalists like me see an opportunity and we say, okay, these governing organizations are starting to recognize the merit in these medicines. It becomes worth our time to invest in the research to develop the drugs that can then become available through your doctor, your therapist, and maybe at some point in the future, just like we drink coffee, we may be microdosing something. Certainly, there's a whole lot of other drugs that we're on that we just don't call drugs that are. Hmm, fair enough. And Kelsey mentioned a few reasons why people are talking about investing in, as well as researching, psychedelics right now, including the fact that people are more open to new ideas and are looking for new choices. I think it's important for our industry to recognize those upon which we stand on their shoulders, right? The medicine keepers, the researchers, the people who've been doing this while we were all distracted by a, a pharmacology. And now we're coming back and going, is there another way? So I think that's kind of what's happened is it just came out of the right place at the right time into an industry that's open to these kind of things now and into a society that's open to making their own choices. I asked her what she thinks is next for this industry, given that it seems like open conversation like these are starting to take place. Here she is again. I think you're going to see some really disciplined, great scientific work and some really like well-researched medicines coming to market in a transformative way. And when, you know, the first 10% of people start to be treated uh, openly and they're able to have that conversation with a colleague, I, I think I think we're going to see a landslide of change in humanity for the better. I know I've said this earlier, but I didn't realize how many people are part of this industry. It's really cool that we had three people share their experiences and knowledge about psychedelics. In some sense, it seems like mainstream society and science have opened up to these types of conversations. I mean, would we have been able to have this talk a few years ago? Probably not. You're totally right. And I think that's why it was so necessary to explore this psychedelics boom that we're having right now. People like Glenda, Tobias, and Kelsey searched their whole lives for new solutions. And now they've found something that works for them. It'll definitely be really interesting to see what happens from a policy and regulation standpoint moving forward, and whether this industry will become more accessible to more people. Glenda said that she is hoping that governments and policymakers will start paying attention. I believe in this. I'm just hoping that the government over time will see the importance 
of psychedelics for people like me that have struggled with streamline medication. Thanks, Ramnik, for sharing what you've learned. It's, it's been an eye-opening experience for me and I'm sure for our listeners as well. It was definitely eye-opening for me too. Thank you for listening to Decomplicated and we'll see you next time. Don't forget to leave us a review, follow us on socials, and share this pod with a friend. And feel free to let us know what you want to see Decomplicated next. This episode was produced by Ramnik Johal and Carol Eugene Park. Mixed by our audio producer, McKenna Hadley-Burke. And music composition by Sean Cameron. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Decomplicated. Decomplicated.